0: The biggest mindset shift really is as an entrepreneur, you must make a lot of different moves and you probably have to go to a level that is very different from what you are in a corporate space to start changing your mindset and start building something from the ground up. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. But the only thing I would say is be cautious about the employee mindset creeping in.
1: Welcome to the Conscious Business Podcast. I'm your host, Phoebe Lay, and I'm so excited that you're here today. On our podcast, we are going to be talking about the things that inspire you in business to help you create a conscious brand that will not only build credibility and give you more opportunities in your business to thrive, but also help you to create in a deliberate, conscious kind of way. This is a place where meaningful conversations will inspire you to create, pursue, and thrive and shine in business. Good morning, Sangeeta. Welcome to the studio. It's great to have you on the podcast. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you,
0: Phoebe. How are you?
1: I'm very well. Thank you. Very excited about this call today, this interview. Sangeeta, it has been a little while since we met at the APOC event. And I'm very excited to have you on the podcast because, you know, when we met, you were running events and a lot of the people that came to the event were startups, were, you know, people in corporate as well. And you're a third generation entrepreneur and a first generation migrant to Australia. And after years of you know, you've gone from leading large global teams, multi-million dollar projects, and being in senior management corporate roles across industries like airlines, energy consulting, and banking. After all of that, you found a Jumpstart Studio and you now help early stage entrepreneurs turn their ideas into a brilliant business reality. We would love to know, because obviously at the Conscious Business Podcast, there are a lot of new business owners and founders and startups. And so, you know, it would be fantastic today to hear about Jumpstart Studio and to also hear more about Start Right, which is your brand new book that's coming out on the 26th of May. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you get started in the business of helping startups?
0: Great question, Phoebe. And well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I think it's such a great platform to be able to speak to other people in the business community. So thank you so much for the opportunity. And I think for me, the reason I sort of got into working with other startups was you know, I'm a third generation entrepreneur, but from my parents' side, both my mother and my father have always been into business, right? They've never really done a job or never really worked in the corporate. So in a way, I was the first person in the family. I suppose, to go get a corporate job and, you know, go in a completely different direction. And sort of after 15 years of doing that, I just knew somewhere like one day I will do something of my own. Like one day I'm just going to do my own business and it's just in me, right? They say it's in your blood. And so I guess that's how in 2016, 2017, I started thinking about doing a business. But because, like you said, I'm a first generation migrant to Australia and my parents are in India, I've always seen them do business in India. And so for me, it was like, how do I really do business in Australia? You know, how does it work here? And also, when I grew up watching my parents do business, the world was a different place. And in 2016, 2017, the world was a different place. You know, startups were all over the place. Like startup was the buzzword. And everybody from Silicon Valley to India to Australia was talking startups. And I was like, well, what is startup? Like, what is this buzz all about? And so I guess in 2019, I decided to take a career break from my corporate career. And I said, okay, I'm going to go dip my feet into entrepreneurship and see what it's like. But, you know, being an employee, (laughs) you come with a very, you know, risk averse mindset. So you're sort of thinking, I'm going to do this, you know, in a risk averse way. And so what I did is I went to uni and I did my master's in entrepreneurship, which is my second master's degree. But it was a one year sort of a 10-month degree, so it was a a one-and-a-half-year degree condensed into 10 months, so it was quite intense, but the aim of that degree was to help you build your own businesses, so by the end of the degree, you would, you know, have your own businesses, and I thought, well, that's a great way to sort of get into it, because, you know, what if I do a business, and I don't like doing business, and, you know, I want to go back into my corporate career, at least I have a degree, (laughs) at <laughs> the end of it. So I suppose that's how it started in a very risk averse sort of mindset and you know going into entrepreneurship with very like you know with a cautious outlook. But I fell in love with it. I literally started my first business was a travel business which failed. <laughs> and I say that with a lot of pride because you know sometimes you think about you know oh my god I failed in business that is so bad like how do I talk about that? But I think now when I look back that was such a brilliant experience to fail in your first business. And then my second business was a food business, which got shelved because of COVID in 2020. And then I went back to my corporate in 2020 after the year I finished studying. But I just realized I'd outgrown it all. You know, it was just not for me anymore. And I I just loved the pace at which business works and the pace at which you can make things happen. And in a corporate space, that was not like, you know, everything was exactly as I'd left it a year ago. And for me, it was not exciting enough. And so, yeah, so right in the middle of the pandemic, I decided I'm going to stop working, stop doing a corporate job, and I'm just going to actually start my own consulting practice because it was quite quite an interesting story because I met somebody who I was mentoring and I was doing this free of charge in February 2020. And he was a business person. He'd been in business for seven years and I was mentoring him about how to, you know, grow his business and take it to the next level And it was quite interesting because after after like six or seven sessions with me, he said, I want to pay you. And I said, no, I don't need you to pay me. It's fine, you know, I'm happy to just mentor you for free. Like I have a corporate job, I get paid quite well, I'm fine. And he was like, no, but I want to pay you. And I said, no, you don't need to pay me. He was a lawyer, he he is a lawyer. And he's like, I want to pay you. And I'm like, I wouldn't know what to charge you, you know? (laughs) Like I really wouldn't know what it would be. And then he said... But you know, if you're not going to take money from me, I'm not coming to any more sessions because I really think you know, you're giving me immense value and you need to get paid for this. And that's how my journey, I suppose, in consulting or starting a consulting business started with my first customer wanting to pay me. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I went from there, you know, I'm just built up on that.
1: Amazing. And I think it's great feedback as well when you hear that not only are your clients getting so much value that they want to pay you for it, but it's also, it's a really rewarding thing. Like they say consultants, but particularly coaches have the most fulfillment in their job. And I really believe that is true. And I wanted to ask as well, when you were talking about when you obviously studied and the difference between when you were studying it, when, when you were actually doing it, Was there a huge difference? Would you still recommend studying entrepreneurship or business or MBAs? Um, What were the main differences?
0: I think the difference, it's very clear when you do something very theoretically, you're learning the frameworks, you're learning the concepts. But, you know, unless you apply those concepts, you really don't understand the depth of it. You don't understand all the, you know, nuances that come with the concept and how you actually apply the concept can be so different for different ideas and different businesses, right? So for a food business, the way I applied the concepts was so different from what I did for my travel business or, you know, now for my consulting business. So it's the practical application, I think, is where 80% of the learning happens. But the theory part is important. And you don't, I mean, having done a degree, I don't necessarily feel like you need to do a degree to get the concepts. You can learn the concepts through many different ways. But 20% of that, the concept piece, is super important too. Because you know, if you just jump into business without really having a framework to follow or just some guardrails, it becomes really difficult. Like you might just not know what direction you're running in, or you know how to actually do things. You, know, you don't have a roadmap as such. And I suppose that's why the theory part is important. But you know, I'm a big fan of execution, and so for me, 80% of the learning happens when you're practically doing things.
1: I totally agree. I think, you know, because obviously, as you know, and I've recently spoken at an APOC event, and we've done the reverse. And as you know, I studied something completely different to business. But, you know, it's been it's been five years on now of consulting and, and helping people with their marketing. And I don't think I've ever had a problem with, you know, either getting work or getting clients because of the fact that I didn't study marketing, as an example. And I do think that You know, theory is very important as well because it it does give you a lot of insight. But business change and, you know, as you said earlier, things happen so quickly and business changes so rapidly as well. So I'd love to know when you started to work with clients in Jumpstart Studio and you were helping them with their startups, what was the framework that you created for them? Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what framework you have to enable people to really feel that they've got step-by-step guidance when it comes to starting up a business?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, when I started working with clients, what I really discovered is a lot of people say we want a business plan, right? Or, you know, building a business plan and building, putting something like a, traditionally a business plan is like a 50, 60 page document that has a lot of jargon in it and has a lot of stuff in it. And executing that 60 page business plan is hard. It takes a lot, lot of effort, right? And then what I learned in my master's degree in entrepreneurship is the more lean way of doing things, the lean canvas, for example, or the business model canvas, which are sort of the new tools to start a business or, you know, to think about your business on a one-page business plan, which is great. I still think there are some flaws in those models as well, but, you know, it's a great starting point for a number of businesses. But, you know, for a lot of businesses that I was starting to work with then and before, like, you know, I went into early stage, early stage businesses, I was working with businesses who'd been there for a few years and who were sort of looking at changing things around. And especially because it was during the pandemic. right? And a lot of businesses were struggling because they had brick and mortar kind of setups or they had like a very offline kind of a setup and the online piece was missing for a number of them. And so to help them make that transition or make that change into a business that can grow and survive in any condition and be a bit more futuristic in the way they're looking at things, I found a lot of gaps in the thinking. And so for me, I think that's when I developed a model called the strategy chakra. And this was something I wanted to keep really light and simple and something that I really wanted people to think about in any business right whether you're a business starting right from scratch or you're a business who's five years in the game and want to lift your game or if you're a business you're a corporate business but you're a team within a corporate for example as well you run as a business right you operate as a business unit so it doesn't matter where you are this model is quite flexible and sensible in that manner and it really starts at the heart of things which is the vision and the values and a lot of times like i've had this from a few clients as well and they think Oh, yeah, all that fluff. And I'm like, no, vision and values is not fluff, you know, because if you don't have a vision, if you don't know what you want to build or where you're headed, how are you going to build it, right? And that's why it's super important to start with that vision values piece and really understand where is this business heading or, you know, what do I want to build out of this structure that I have now or the idea that I have now? And so it starts with that and then your business model sort of comes around it And then there are four sort of external aspects and four internal aspects that every business needs to think about. So the external aspects are the customer. You need to have a customer strategy. You need to have a marketing strategy. So Phoebe, you know all about this. And you need a product or service strategy. And you need to understand your competition, right? And these are things that are externally visible about your business to your customers. Your strategies have to be in sync and they have to actually make sense and align and that's why it's a chakra because it's all connected with each other on the internal side what businesses need to think about are your people strategy how are you building teams how you're bringing people on you know who are the people you're bringing on all of those things your technology strategy because you know in today's day and age you can't escape that you have to have a tech strategy for your business a finance strategy a lot of times people think i think of finance as an afterthought but the reality is budgets, projections, you know, having runways, financial runways are super important for every business. And the fourth one is partnerships, because in, again, in today's day and age, partnerships are the surefire way to get ahead in your business. And so these are sort of the eight spokes, I suppose, if your hub is the vision values and the business model is your hub, you've got these eight different spokes that, you know, all connect to the vision and values, but also then connect with each other. And that's my model that I use when I work with my clients is, you know, start right at the heart of it. But then as you keep building out the business, as you keep you know thinking about your growth strategies, you have to have a strategy on all of these dimensions. I love
1: it. I absolutely love that you've got eight parts of the pie and you've got the internal and the external because it is all about the balance and you can't just be working on the marketing or just be on the customer service or just vision and mission and people as well. It's really important to have that all balanced out. So when you're working, and I'm guessing that some of the startups that you work with, they might not necessarily have a team yet, right? And you might even be working with solopreneurs. How do you help them with 24 hours in a day and, you know, limited time? How do you help them manage all eight areas and to find that balance in all of them?
0: yeah i mean it's it's very subjective right and it's business to business it's obviously as a single person it's very hard to do everything but it's about prioritizing right understanding which one goes first and because every business is different like you know if you were a business that was trying to build like say a SaaS product which is a software as a service product there would be certain things that you're going to start focusing on straight away and You know, things like, for example, your technology will be number one, your finance could be super important because, you know, SaaS products can be expensive to build and things like that. So although the base, which is your vision values and business model, have to come together for every business as a priority. Then it's about picking which parts of this book are really important for you first, and then the second and the third. So it's prioritizing those. Alternatively, if you were building a business that is very dependent on marketing or your customer, Then it's about, you know, understanding that you prioritize those things first, because sometimes with some businesses, you need to start getting the marketing off even before you have the product ready to test the market, to see if the market really likes what you have to sell and what you want to build. So a number of different techniques that I use within these with this framework as well, you know, prototyping, MVP, I think those things are very well known, but I'm a big fan of a technique called pretotyping which is pretendotyping, right? It's, it sits even before you prototype. Like a prototype is a working model of something, you know, of your product or of your offering that you have. But a pretotype is a pretend version of your product. So it doesn't even exist yet. But what you're doing is getting out there and pretending that it exists to test the market to see if the market really wants what you have to sell so this is stuff I use for very early stage entrepreneurs or, you know, even for businesses that have already existed, but want to sort of say, have a great idea for a new product or a new service line they want to launch. It's like, hey, before you go invest like, you know, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 into trying to build something, let's first test if the market wants it and then we'll go build it.
1: That is so important. I absolutely am so aligned with what you're saying here. And I believe that. If we're not doing the testing, if we don't understand what the customer wants and we're all about the product, but it's not a product that necessarily is fitting the gap in the market, or it's not positioned in a way where people understand it very well or connect with it very well, it might not take off as well. And so putting in that time is actually very important, So I I love what you do and particularly you know, the external facing parts of the business as well, because obviously, I mean, internal is very, very important. But when we're working on the external parts, I do think that that research and, and connecting with the customer, but also getting guidance from experts that have had that experience in the past is very, very important. And so I'd love to know a little bit about in terms of when you talk about the finance part, and the budgeting. What are some of the things that you do with the customer or the client that you work with to help them get that component right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I have a master's degree in accounting, which was my first master's degree. So, you know, numbers is my thing. I also worked in Lufthansa Airlines. That was My very first job was as the assistant finance controller for Lufthansa Airlines in the West African division, right? And so that is a big part of who I am with the money side of things. And also, like, you know, of the second biggest mistake, like the first biggest mistake that most entrepreneurs make is they don't build things that other people want to buy. Right. And this is why we do the testing and all of that that we spoke about earlier. But the second biggest mistake and almost 30 percent of businesses make this mistake is financial mismanagement. And this is why it's so important for businesses to start thinking about their finances. It doesn't matter if you're an early stage business, just ideating at the moment, you know, just have this great idea that I'm going to build the world's next light bulb. Or whether you're, you know, a business that has been in operation for six, seven years. A lot of times what I find is people think finance is something that the accountants need to do or they need to hire a CFO to do it. The reality is if you're an entrepreneur and if, you're, if you own a business or a share in a business, even a co-founder, you need to be on top of your numbers. Because, you know, without numbers, your business is just a hobby. Right. And so you really need to understand how you actually get on top of your numbers, having even the basics, like, you know, understanding what profit and loss is, you know, understanding all the terms that go inside the profit and loss statement, things like income, revenue, expenses, like what's the difference between those? What is EBITDA? Like, you know, when you look at a financial statement, there are heaps of like abbreviations or you'll have a lot of jargon in there, like amortization, depreciation, like what does that really mean? And you know, what goes into that? So that's sort of the very basic stuff that I help with. The other part is understanding unit economics, right? So for a lot of people, they think of their balance sheet and their profit and loss statement, and that's it. Like, you know, and cash flows, maybe these are the three big sort of statements that you need, the financial statements that any business needs to have. But, you know, people don't really think about unit economics. Like how much is it costing me to acquire a customer? You know, and what is the lifetime value of this customer? How much, you know, money is my business making from this customer? How long do I have this customer with me? Retention rates, churn rates, break even points. So, these sort of things are a lot of times people, when I talk to people about, about these things, I'm like, do you know what this is? Do you know what that is? Like, no, never done that or never calculated that, right? So, part of my work with them is really to educate them around, you know, just getting on top of the basic numbers, you know, and it's important because a lot of the startups that I work with especially want to finally get investors, want to, you know, present, stand up in front of investors and pitch to them. And they do that, you know, quite often as well. But, you know, when the investor asks you something about your finances and if you don't know it, the investors lost confidence in you. You know, they don't know if you know how to run your business properly. And these are things sort of I help founders sort of polish up with the founders. They have education around financials. I also have them put together like very basic initial projections, budgeting for their business. You know, what is your business going to look like in the next two years or three years? What sort of revenues can you expect? What sort of expenses can you expect? So are you going to be in profit? Are you going to be in loss? And if you are, then what levers do you need to pull to be able to, you know, come back into the green, you know, not be red all the time and things like that. So We do a lot of deep diving into the numbers. And very often I come out of those sessions and, you know, people are like, I knew I needed this, but I just didn't know how to do it, (laughs) you know? So I think an accountant is super important. Working with your financial sort of planner or your financial, uh, your CFO for your business is super important. But you as an entrepreneur need to have the basic education in finance and understanding what, you know, what do the numbers really say? So that's the stuff I do on the finance side.
1: I love that, Sangeeta. I think that, you know, you sound like you are absolutely well versed and an expert in this area and packed with so much background and experience in obviously the corporate world, which would have given you, you know, not only the tools, but also, you know, the foundation and the systems and the steps and, and, you know, having had that under your belt that would be very very helpful for the clients that you now work with when you're helping or mentoring a business owner what do you think are some of the you know blocks that you've really enjoyed helping them overcome? Would it be the finance or have there been other areas where you know it's just been a really beautiful moment of seeing them kind of get through that block or that roadblock and you know get to that aha moment?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's been uh, quite a few, right? So because I'm quite a generalist, I don't limit myself to a certain domain. And I have this huge appetite for learning things and I learn things very quickly. So which is why I'm able to add a lot of value on many dimensions to my customers. It's not just, you know, one or the other. And this is why the whole strategy chakra piece, like, you know, all the pieces I mentioned are pieces I add value on right at the beginning with most customers in most industries as well. And I think for me, what I really enjoy seeing customers having that aha moment with is the customer side of things i think you know for any business the two key important things are you and your customer you know there are shareholders there are other stakeholders that come into play your supplies and all of that and that is all great but if you don't have a customer you don't have a business and so it's really about how do you shape your customer strategy how do you actually get in front of customers and grow And then on the other hand, so things like customer discovery, you know, if I was to be specific, customer discovery, really understanding your demographic, who your customer is, how do you work with your customer, how do you position yourself in the market with your customer? So that touches on a few marketing aspects as well. Another thing that I found with a lot of my clients, especially the ones who are so the ones who are, you know, really early stage and are ideating, and then I give them, you know, a roadmap, we work out what our next steps and things like that they're usually quite enthusiastic to go and get things started and get done but people who've probably been in business for a while and have you know dealt with a lot of that initial stuff they sort of get into a comfort zone after a point in time and so when you reach that you know 3 or 4 years into your business that kind of a mark that's where what i find is you know they when i work with them as a consultant and i and i sort of help them do the whole strategy side of things the execution is where the trouble is and, you know, how okay, this is all great, fantastic. I love the whole strategy. I love where we're headed. But, Sangita, how do I do this? You know, or, you know, what's, how, can you do it for me? <laughs> you know, that is the question I get asked the most. And so just like, you know, about six or seven months ago, I started a done-for-you service for a lot of my customers. And what that really means is, you know, I do things for them right from product development to SEO, to the marketing, to, you know website you know maintenance and website development and so sort of still on the customer side of things but it's sort of how do you now translate the strategy piece the whole oh this looks amazing this roadmap looks great but the execution of that roadmap is something I've started working with them on as well because I see that as a big challenge for a number of people is how do you get it done you know and so while I I don't do it hands-on I've got teams that sit in different parts of the world that help with this and you know I work with them as a partner, because like I said, partnerships are immensely important in the business. You know, I'm a great expert at telling you what to do and how to do it, like the pieces and how they need to fit together. But I may not be an SEO expert, right, for example, or I'm not somebody who is, I can build a basic website, but I'm not a web developer. So, you know, I then go out and work with these other people in partnership to help my clients then also get the services done.
1: I love that, Sangeeta. And it sounds very similar to, you know, how I kind of went from Thrive and Shine Coaching to Thrive and Shine Co. Because, you know, the Co was when we, like you say, brought in partnerships and people and external people, but people that we still work very closely with on, for example, the strategy or the vision or the, you know, the visual aspects of the website or the copywriting of the campaign or the design and I love that you know similar to myself you are helping not only just with pointing people in the right direction but also giving them the ability to or the option to have that outsourced because I do think as business owners we need to be very careful and selective with what projects we take on and how we manage our time and not everything is something that we should do ourselves. You mentioned SEO that is definitely something that if you're not you know a very tech person or if you're not very say for example good with web development or coding or you know all the technical sides of it you might be very good at blogging but you might not want to take on SEO or something as a tool that you want to you know learn and do yourself so there are things that you know there are lots of various ways that you know you can still grow your business without having to hire And I think, you know, services like the one you've just mentioned are very important for people to navigate and get it done in a very quick and efficient amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. was if there was one big lesson that you've learned in your own business that you would like to share with the business owners that are listening to this podcast today or the future CEOs and founders and business owners, what would that one lesson or what would be the message that you would
0: want to share? Very good question. There's heaps of lessons. But if there was one big one, I would say, look, I think it's your mindset plays the most important role in, you know, whether you're transitioning from a corporate career into business, because for me, I think that is where, the big difference or the big change came about when I first, you know, went into uni studying entrepreneurship at, you know, my last role was at ANZ Bank and I was a director at ANZ Bank. I had large teams, global teams that I was managing, 120 people, and it was a $30 million, like, you know, large transformation project and things like that. So I had a lot of responsibility, but I also, you know, it came with a title, right? You know, director and that Title director opened a lot of doors for me in a lot of places. The minute I would say, you know, this is who I am. I'm a director of this program at ANZ, it would open doors for me. People would willingly give me time. When I became an entrepreneur, transition into being a founder. My first basic thing was to get out there on the streets and talk to customers. Right. So the first week of my entrepreneurship program, they threw us in the deep end and said, you have a week. Pick a team among the people that are in this cohort and go build a business you know any idea doesn't matter just go try it within a week get customers and by the end of the week you're pitching to investors for the business so we had one week to go from nothing to having something to pitch to investors and as part of that journey one of the things we had to do was to get out and talk to customers on the streets you know and one of the business that we wanted to build at that time was called wall space and it was about utilizing wall spaces in the city for, you know, light projection, advertising for small businesses. So our customers were small businesses, and we wanted to sort of go out and do a bit of customer discovery around that. And standing on the streets, talking to people, you know, the director title really didn't matter. You know, if I said I'm a director at this so what? <laughs> you know, it had nothing to do with what I was trying to build as a business, and it had nothing to do with what I was trying to you know, learn from those customers. And so the biggest mindset shift really is as an entrepreneur, you, you must make a lot of different moves and you probably have to go to a level that, you know, is very different from what you are in a corporate space to start changing your mindset and start building something from the ground up. And there's no right or wrong way to do it, but the only thing I would say is be cautious about the employee mindset creeping in. Because, you know, a lot of times we think of our, we we are risk averse as employees. We have a safety net of a job and having like, you know, a, a regular income. And so entrepreneurship might seem very daunting, but it is one of the most fun things you can do in life. And it is one of the best experiences you can have in life is becoming an entrepreneur and actually chasing your dreams and building a legacy, building something that you can leave behind for the world. And that can impact people's lives and livelihoods and I suppose if you come with that lens and are prepared to do the hard work you know your mindset shift will keep happening and I think that is probably the biggest lesson that I've had is just keep going you know if you love doing it just keep doing it and you will see it is it changes everything around you so I don't know if that's a lesson or not but it's really one thing that happened to me was that mindset shift and I think That is something I would just say to everybody is, you know, that's a big part of business and I love it. I'm sure you love it too.
1: Oh, that is such a wonderful answer. Thank you so much because I totally agree. I think it's absolutely riveting and every day or every week can be an adventure of its own depending on our perspective and also what we do with it. Now, Sangeeta, this now brings us to the rapid fire questions. I have four questions to ask you because we have actually just covered the last one, the fifth one that I normally ask. But do you mind if we go through just four really quick questions so our audience get to know you a little bit more? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So we'll start with the first one. If there was one thing that you cannot live a single day without, whether it's something physical or non-physical
0: what would it be? I think I couldn't live without, I would say, food. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big foodie and, you know, I love, I love having variety in my food. So I think for me, you know, if, if I had to eat bland food every day, that would be very boring. <laughs> so, yeah, I need like interesting, good, tasty food. I love that. We have not had that on the show
1: yet. And I'm, I'm actually very surprised we haven't had that answer. Thank you. I'm a, you know, I love food as well, and I'm a big fan of variety. So that's good to hear. (laughs) Fagita, what or who inspired you to do what you do today, whether it's in business or just in your career, overall, in general, what's been someone or something that has inspired you?
0: I think my biggest inspiration comes from my parents, and both of them. uh, I think, you know, they Like I said, I think at the beginning of the show was, you know, both my parents are in business and my mom started her business at 31 and she went on to be a serial entrepreneur, built many things and she retired by the time she was 50. She retired, she made a heap of money and she exited her businesses very successfully and, you know, she became very popular in what she was doing and she was very, very successful and she was like this rapid fire, let's get into it, let's get it done and at 50 done and out. And then my dad, on the other hand, is somebody who started his business at 21, 20, 21. And he's still going. He's in his 60s now. His business just clocked in 42 years of operations this year. Wow. And for 42 years, he's been consistent and what he's been doing and just, you know, and he has become super successful. And the fact that, you know, I get recognized by his name, like we come from a small town in India. But I was on a flight to Amsterdam a couple of years ago and somebody was like, you're Kishore's daughter? And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, you know. This is... So I get recognized by my dad's name in many places. So, you know, the fact that sitting in a very small town in India, he's consistently built a very, very successful business by just being consistent at it for, you know, 42 years and counting. I think those are two people that inspire me the most in business.
1: Oh, that's so cool. It makes so, so much sense. Both my parents are in business as well, and I think both of them do it very, very differently, and have very different styles. And it's very it's such a small world, in a way that now that you think about it. But you know, with such a big population in India, I I can imagine your father would be quite well known. So that's awesome. Sankita, where do you see your business or yourself in five years' time? What do you want to have had accomplished?
0: I think for me, the goal is if I can impact and change a million lives, you know, that would be my goal in five years, if you ask me. I think for me, that is the very reason I enjoy the consulting and coaching that I do. It's my zone of genius. Like, you know, I can see the impact every day that I'm making with my mentees. I get, you know, very regular feedback from them in the change that, you know, it has made to their life, the difference it makes in their life. And just how it changes them as individuals and just in, you know, in their business or even as people. And I think that's the piece I enjoy the most is, you know, helping people grow and change and seeing them reach and use their full potential. And for me, I think also the reason I've written a book recently is, you know, because, you know, me one on one with people versus a book can reach more people. And then I'm sort of going to keep building on that with, you know, online courses and things that can just reach as many people with the knowledge and experience that I have, as much as I can give out into the world and help people better their lives, I think that would be something I want to accomplish.
1: I love that. Fantastic. And lastly, what is one lesson or takeaway that you've learned recently that has changed the way you do things?
0: I think the one one lesson I learned, so I spent the last two weeks or, you know, the... um, End of April and early May, I spent a couple of weeks in India and this was, you know, I was visiting people to understand a bit more about, you know, I was visiting partners that I was working with, but also visiting some new people in India and seeing how, you know, I can help give back into a country that I've come from. So, you know, I've lived in Australia for a good 13, 14 years now. But, you know, being able to go back and give into the country that you were born and raised in is super important. And one of the things that I learned very rapidly when I was in India and having those conversations was that, you know, the world has changed so much even in these developing countries. And, like, they're no longer dreaming small, you know. Everyone's dreaming big. And I think the lesson for me is, you know, dream bigger. <laughs> you know, don't, don't limit yourself. I think the, you know, there's a lot of times we tend to limit ourselves and how we think about what we want to accomplish or you know what we want to achieve in life and I think for me the biggest lesson in the last few weeks has been dream bigger because you know the world around you is dreaming bigger you've just got to keep dreaming bigger with them to help make it a reality.
1: Thank Thank you so much that you're episode is one that I've really, really enjoyed. I've loved hearing about, you know, not only your lessons, but also your experiences. And I absolutely am thrilled and so thrilled to get this out to my audience through the Conscious Business Podcast. If there's anyone that would like to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to find you? Would it be LinkedIn or your website?
0: We will make sure to also put it into our show notes as well. Yeah, LinkedIn's perfect because I'm very active on LinkedIn. So please do come connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people. And the one thing you should know about me is I never say no, you know, because I believe in the power of yes. And I think the more yes you can say in this world, the more opportunities open up. So I will never say no to a chat or a coffee or, you know, whatever it may be. So come connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to chat.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sangeeta, for your time and sharing your wisdom. And I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks, Phoebe. Thanks
0: for having me.